Welcome to the X Talks, where we unlock the secrets of living your ultimate life. I'm living here, or I'm living here, I'm sitting here with Leanne. Hi, Leanne. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great. So tell me about something that you've overcome in your life. So I feel like I've overcome a lot of things, but the the biggest thing that really stands out is having been diagnosed with breast cancer. That uh, was seven years ago. And I had some surgical intervention, and then a year later, uh, they found another tumor. So I ended up having to do a total of about eight different surgeries, eight rounds of chemotherapy, and 33 rounds of radiation over the course of about um, six months. So that was probably the biggest thing I've had to work to overcome Mm -hmm. and and come back from Mm -hmm. in my life. How did that obviously affect your life. Were you just going along thinking that you would never have something like that? So it was a complete surprise or was it because you're healthy? I had never uh, really been diagnosed with much of anything prior to that. I wouldn't say that it was a complete surprise. My mom's mom had breast cancer. So I always had it in my brain that I need to get routine mammograms. I need to stay on top of things. And thankfully I did have that in the back of my mind because I never felt anything. It was just a routine mammogram at 42 years old that provided that diagnosis. So had I not been aware, had my grandmother not gone through the same thing, I might not have been getting those mammograms at such a early age. However, because I hadn't been really diagnosed with anything or sick before, and I'd always been athletic and worked out and ate healthy, that part of it really was a shock. And having to do chemotherapy the second year was really a shock because that wasn't really something that I ever considered myself having to do. It was like the scary thing over here that happens to other people. Right. And so that definitely was traumatic. I didn't know what to expect. I was going to lose my hair. I thought I was going to be sick. My kids were little and I didn't want them to be scared. And so it really changed the dynamics of things at home. I was off work for eight months during all of that. Even in in the best of situations, it does put a little financial strain on the family. That creates some chaos to endure and um, live through. But I think one of the things that really helped me through that is I do tend to have a really positive attitude about things. Mm -hmm. And there really wasn't a time during all of that where I thought, oh my gosh, I can't get through this. I'm not going to make it. One time about the middle of chemo, I thought, oh my gosh, I just can't imagine doing another one of these treatments. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, I got right back up and went back and did another one. Trying to just really focus on the positive. Yeah, The kids and I and my husband and my family, we called them God winks. So we just looked for all the God winks everywhere they were. Somebody that was helping us, somebody that was bringing a meal, somebody that was providing something that that we needed at the time, whether it be watching the kids or some space or a little time away or a distraction or whatever the case may be. So that was really helpful. I think having a lot of support for my family was really important. And it broke my heart when I would go to chemo and I would see people there alone, like without a support person, kind of made me feel for them a little bit because that was truly something that really got me through that and kept me going. Yeah. So when you were first diagnosed, what went through your head as far as we probably all had thought, what would we do if, and then when it really happens, what happened and how would that change the way you talk to somebody else with cancer who's got diagnosed with cancer? 
the the first thing that popped in my head when I was told I had cancer was, oh, I want to see my kids grow up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this isn't supposed to happen this way. Um, I'm not done yet. Yeah. Um, there's so many other things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that was really frightening. Yeah. And I, I feel bad. My husband uh, got left out of that a little bit because he's like, all you worry about is seeing the kids grow up. What right. about our future? Yeah. So I do feel bad about focusing on the kids, but I don't think that was anything against him. I think it was that I knew he would be okay. He was right. an adult. He had more coping skills. He had more intelligence and worldly experience. I knew he would get through it. Um It's the kids uh, that I worried about a lot. And I think in that moment, I got the cart ahead of the horse. (laughs) Instead of jumping to, oh my gosh, this is the end for me and I'm never going to see my kids grow up. What I really needed to do is stay focused in the present and enjoy every minute that I had. And there, there isn't, with any cancer diagnosis, a definitive outcome. Everyone is different. And even somebody that somebody else that has breast cancer, their outcome could be different than mine. It's like I've always said, it's like a pregnancy. Everybody's is different. So you can't hear a terrible story that happened to somebody and automatically think that's going to be your story. Your story is your story and you have a lot to do with how your story goes and how that story is written. And so I think it was really important for me looking back to not jump so far ahead and to really focus on that moment. And that's really hard to do. It's only kind of now that I'm looking back and going, Oh my gosh, I neglected my husband. I was only focused on the kids or I wasn't appreciating every little thing that was happening. And so I I think that's the best thing that I could tell somebody is don't let everybody else's story yours. Right. And stay focused on the positive and stay focused on what you can enjoy in your life right now. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like, though, you had to let go or grieve about what your life, you thought your life was going to be. Okay, I didn't, wait, I don't have time for this. Right. I wasn't expecting this. This wasn't in my plan. Yeah. And that's what would piss me off more than anything. Yeah. I think I'd be like mad. I think I'd be. Yeah. There there were definitely the stages of grieving in there and anger was certainly one of them. And sometimes anger is still there. Oh, Um, yeah. I I don't think you always go directly through those stages and get to coping and and that's it. I think you flux back and forth. And sometimes I still grieve that that my kids had to endure that, that I had to endure that, Mm -hmm. that I still have numerous medical appointments and follow-ups and tests and labs and all of those things that are left in the aftermath. And I think sometimes that's that's the place where it's easy to get lost. Mm-hmm. When you're in the midst of battle, the right. troops rally around you. Mm-hmm. And when it's over and you've come through on the other side, and now that I'm five years out and it's life's back to normal for everybody else. And a lot of people even have forgotten, oh yeah, I forgot you had breast cancer. I forgot you went through all of that. And I'm still here in this body that's totally different and this mind that totally processes different Mm -hmm. than it did before. And so sometimes it just changes you. It changes your outlook. It changes how you think about things. I'm far more inclined to be spontaneous. Let's do it. Let's enjoy it. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And really not worrying as much about the details and, and different things, but I'm still with the same 
people and the same friends who are like, wait a minute, we should plan. We should do this. We should do that. Wait till we have this done before we do that. And I'm like, no, I don't want to wait on anything Mm -hmm. else anymore. I want to just do this because truly you just never know when you're going to be out of time, whether it's cancer or you walk out the door and you're hit by a truck. Nobody's promised tomorrow. So I think making sure that you make the most out of every single day. And one of the other things that I think is really important for somebody who is in a battle like this, whether it be cancer or any other chronic illness, I found out a long time ago that Google's not my friend. Yeah. And I just, I've never really Googled Mm -hmm. breast cancer. And that was probably the best advice I got from one of the nurse navigators that I was Mm -hmm. working with. And I think when you Google and statistics and you read about things, you get that in your head again. Like that's my fate. Oh my gosh. I'm only going to live X number of years. I'm only Mm going to be able to do this. And I refuse to do that. I refuse to look at that stuff because again, I'm going to write my own story Mm -hmm. and my story isn't going to be the average collection of everybody else's. So it needs to be my own individual story. Yeah. And I feel like they try to sell the stories out of fear. People will want to read that, but so how did you approach it then when you were diagnosed? I feel like people approach it differently. Like, did you go vegan? Did you like, did you change your, did you change everything? Did you listen to the doctors to get second opinions? Did you, cause you said you didn't do your own research on Google. Right. What right. did you do then? I'm a nurse. I'm also a dietitian. Those two things I had in my back pocket, which was nice. I also had a great team of um, nurses and friends as a dietitian. I'd always ate healthy. I've been vegetarian even prior to that Mm. for a while. And that was my norm. And so I really had always avoided a lot of processed foods and, you know, things like that. Not that I didn't ever eat junk food. Dietitians do eat junk food, but not often. And so I didn't really feel like my diet was a huge impact on what I was diagnosed with. Okay. But I do think that as you put all these chemicals in your body that are designed to kill your cells off, um, that was a little alarming. I have the have been blessed with a sister-in-law who is a pharmacist, and she went to appointments with me and talked to me about the different medications and reassured me with her research that what they were recommending for me mm-hmm. was the right path. I really trusted the doctors that I had and the surgeons that I had because it's, I really did a lot of research on that angle rather than the diagnosis. I did the research on who do I want my providers to be. Mm -hmm. And so that was a peace of mind for me Mm -hmm. that I was, that I had, that I'd rallied the right team. Right. And I had spoken to a couple physicians who had family members go through breast cancer treatments. And again, they reassured me that, yes, these are the people I want on my team. These are, so I didn't really go get an official uh, second opinion anywhere, but I think I handpicked my first opinion right. Right. <laughs> and it really was something that I felt very confident in who I was working with. So do you like to identify as a part of the breast cancer community? And I'm just asking this question because I had a client who got breast cancer and she was going in for her surgery and that is big Vera Bradley bag and all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and I just thought it was really interesting. Cause she said, she said, she got mad, take that out of here. I do not want to be part of that community. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I just thought it was really interesting because she didn't want it to be a part of her identity. 
Yeah, I, I would say that initially I was, I think I was in shock. And so if you had thrown a Vera Bradley bag at me, I probably wouldn't even have connected the dots that yeah. you were giving it to me because I had breast cancer. But I will say about a year after I was really sick of pink. I yeah. don't want any more pink. Stop right. buying me pink stuff. Stop buying me breast cancer stuff. I don't want to wear this. I don't want to see that. I'm not, yeah. I don't want to wear breast cancer bracelets and necklaces and earrings and hats and shirts all the time. No, mm-hmm. I, I just I don't. You want um, that part of your life to be over. Well, I want the pink to be over. Yeah. I really do. Men get breast cancer too. Yeah. I, I had a, a friend whose husband got breast cancer oh. right here for right now. It's it's one of those things that like the pink I think is overdone. Breast cancer gets a lot of publicity because it affects our moms and our sisters and our daughters and and um, women are really good at coming together. Women, women are really good. Yep, yeah. yep, absolutely. Um, and it does get a lot of attention. And I don't mind being a part of that. In, in a sense that if my story can help one person, mm-hmm. it was worth me sharing it. If um, me saying, oh my gosh, you should get a mammogram prevents late onset diagnosis of breast cancer for one person, I will share all day long. I will, I'm always willing to tell people my story, mm-hmm. but I don't think I have to dress it outwardly every single day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't mind being connected as a breast cancer survivor, but I don't have to. Yeah. Cause we talk about that. We want you to be your future self. Like, exactly. So, and that's where that goes into that identity. Do I really want to identify with this? Not that you don't want to help people. Right. Just so many people hold on to that. Exactly. And they're just really holding on to their past. Yeah. And if you think about it, like any diagnosis, do you want to wear necklaces that say you have high blood pressure or yeah. high cholesterol or right. MS or whatever right. it is you might be battling diabetes? Yeah. No, I just don't really think anybody wants to wear their health on their sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah for sure. Yeah. And then when I was talking about what did you do and how did you... Um, approach your diagnosis, like all the one percent things. That's what I kept going back to. Mm-hmm. Even like what we're doing with Susan. Okay, if red light is going to help you one percent, I think we should do it. Right. You know, it's going to help you one percent. I think we should do it. If going vegan, you know, exactly. And, and had I been here at the workout at that time, oh yeah, I would have taken advantage of everything that I could have. To... And not just here, but I was just saying, like, yes, in, in, in like, general. Yeah, yes. in general. Um, yeah, I totally agree. All did you meditate? Like, would you do with your? I wouldn't call it an official meditation, but I did a lot of prayer and I did a lot of journaling about, I journaled about a lot of times about how I felt. It wasn't so much about my future, but where am I right now and how am I going to get through this? And I would write things down so that I wouldn't forget them because I was so tired from all the meds that I felt like I would sleep. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, did I dream that? Was that real? So I'd have to go back to my notes. Oh my gosh, did this happen? What day of the week is it? I don't even know anymore. But yeah, taking advantage of anything that I knew that would help me. Oh, absolutely. A lot of prayer, a lot of just journaling what was going on. So I didn't forget. And then exercise as I could with the fatigue. It was pretty hard, but walking the dogs, moving. It's amazing where you you think you're so tired and so worn out, but then moving actually makes you feel better. So continuing to exercise and do as much as I could to just feel normal. But yeah, I've always felt anything that gives you that edge up, that makes your story different, that changes the outcome. Absolutely. Even if it changes it 1%. What was the best thing that helped you through this then? 
Through this, I would say one was the encouragement and support of others because 2 a.m. is a lonely place when you have fear and worry on your mind and being able to know that people were there. I was never really left to just fend for myself. You know, I'm blessed that my parents are both still living and close by and they were there routinely and not only encouraging, but my mom has this great way of sometimes like when I'm really um, upset about something, she can get me into fight mode. <laughs> like she'll literally say, knock it off. Yeah. You're not going to do that. Yes. Where's yes. your grit? Yes. Those kinds of things. And again, spending time with my kids, spending time with my family was helpful in getting through that. And again, looking for all the amazing things that happened. Sharing my story was a big part of it too. And feeling like I was helping others be aware that they needed to get a mammogram or that this could happen to you at 40 years old or whatever. So, Because like we did all the right things. Like we pressed right. better baby. So exactly. Like, oh, you have less yes. like healthy weight, healthy exactly. lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah. Four yeah. babies, and I never bought formula one time. Right. But, you know, this wasn't supposed to happen. Right. So. Yeah. But yeah, and I think too, one of the things that was frustrating is I did all the genetic testing, different things. Not one thing showed up in my panel as would have put me at risk for this or caused this. So not knowing, it's, mm. if you told me it was because I didn't stand on my head a half hour every day, right. I'd be standing on my yes. head a half hour every day. Yes. You just don't ever want to put, do something. I never wanted to do something that was going to put me at risk. And it was actually super frustrating if I would go out in public and I would see somebody who was smoking and I would oh, be like, I and I'm the one with cancer. Right. You know? Exactly. Like, Stop it. Exactly. So yeah, I would say my the biggest thing that helped me through was keeping that positive attitude, having the, the support of my family and friends, people checking in on me. We had a good uh, uh, messaging system going to my sister. My mom would would update people rather than me having to update right. a thousand people every day. So that was good. But those were just, I think, the the people around me because I thrive on people. Like I'm, I'm definitely um, a people person and, and people being there to, to support and help me really got me through that. Yeah. So then with the collateral damage at the end, when you said everyone's gone Mm -hmm. and now you're just left to, and now you felt like that was a huge maybe thing that people aren't talking about. So how do we help people through that part? It's funny because I went back to my oncologist and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is at the time, like it was like right after my treatments and, and my hair had just started growing back. And I'm like, okay, I'm now 40 pounds overweight because of all these steroids that blew me up and I wasn't moving near as much as I was before and my body's changed and now I'm going back to work and I'm tired and my relationships have changed and like not everybody's at my house all the time and she's and I said I just I don't even know I don't even know what's going on anymore it just was like this huge aftermath of just it was just weird. I don't even know how to describe it. Everybody just went on with their lives again. And I was like, just sitting there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what just happened? And she looked at me and she said, if I told you it was going to be that way, you wouldn't have done it. Right. So she knew, like she, she knew there's this after effect of having cancer or enduring this crisis type situation. And it was just shocking to me that that she could have predicted that that something like that would happen. Um, So I think I went through a little bit of a phase where I was like, oh my gosh, now I got to hurry up and do all these things I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to do. And then I'm having a little, still a little bit of this grieving. And now I'm, instead of occupying my time with people, I was occupying my time with 
things like events, going here, going there, doing this, doing that, and over committed to a lot of things and had to really um, slow down and, and back down on some different things so that I could have a little bit more balance in my life. And was everyone expecting like just the old you? Okay. Just, yeah. But you're not that person anymore. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly and what then, And then it's, so you can see that's what they want. You're going to try to be that, yes. but then it doesn't feel good because it's not you. And yeah, then, that's exactly it. but nobody knows how to talk to the, the new you because right. they're expecting, okay, you're done with that. Okay. We're done. Let's go back to the way things were. And you're like, but I don't even want to. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. It, it changes you and you can't change it back. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you just can't. You right. know? And it was really hard for people to understand how, how I felt about that. I just think in our world too, cause we are always growing, but we don't want people to grow because we want them to be the same exact person they were when we met them. You have this weird contract with them. And then when you grow or you change, then they don't know how to connect with you. And then it makes it weird. And then instead of like, honor, we, we haven't taught people to honor journeys and to honor people where they're at and honor growth. And that makes other people uncomfortable. Then we're in the same environment, the same people in the same conversations that you had, but that's what, that was with the old you. So now it doesn't feel good, but then you want to connect. Right. So then there's a whole bunch of internal conflict. Right. Yeah. Right. How has the small method helped you? I would say the biggest thing that I was in the rut of doing was I got to a point where I I had missed so much in that time that I was down for the count. And then I was like trying to fill it with other things for, you know, a while there and not really focusing. I was just flying by the seat of my pants doing, you know, there was, there was just chaos still. And, and then I think that confused people even more. And then anytime it felt so bad that I was off work for so long, I couldn't participate in, in different things that I wanted to do, or I would normally have done. And anytime I was taking time for myself, I felt guilty. Mm. Oh my gosh. Um, Cause you kid, just had with all your treatments, yeah. that was all my, me time. And yes, <laughs> exactly. And, but what I was, you know, experiencing was like this extreme frustration and just this buildup of emotions and no outlet for it. I'd get up and I'd go to work and I'd come home. And if I wanted to go to the gym or I wanted to meditate or I wanted to do something for myself, I couldn't even get to that point because as soon as I walked in the door, it was dinner and dishes and kids and uh, homework and just chaos. And I felt guilty if I wanted to step away from that or I wanted to make time for me. And so I think the biggest thing with Swell is realizing that I'm not any good for them if I'm not good for myself. And just the whole, I need to fill my cup first before I can even attempt to help fill theirs, um, with them or, you know, even be in the right state of mind to help them through the kids or my husband or whoever through anything that they need me to be there for them with. I just can't show up as the best Leanne if Mm -hmm. I haven't created the best Leanne. Mm -hmm. And I never considered myself to really be a morning person. And then you you suckered me in here and finding out that I can do this and I can do it in the morning when I have the time that is not Otherwise, you're not taken away from the I'm not taken away from yeah. the family, and I'm not really I'm not really taken away from anything at this time. So instead of um, just sitting around and drinking my coffee in the morning, I, I get going, get moving, fill my cup, and then I don't have that guilty feeling. And then when I come home in the evening, I can be the best person I could be right. for everybody else um, because I've spent that time 
taking care of me. I also feel like I really need to do this because getting myself back into the healthiest shape that I can be with the exercise, with the mental, doing the meditation, continuing to focus on eating healthy, then I can do, I can do the L's. I can, I can live in love Mm -hmm. with my family. Mm -hmm. And I think that just really shed a lot more light on the piece that was missing in my life. Nobody has time. So that's like the biggest thing. Like our lives are full Mm -hmm. with nobody. So that's like the number one thing. And I totally honor that. So one of my questions is always, what are you willing to give up? You know, then, then give up TV time or give up sleep or give up your morning, you know, like, so it, but you're giving that up for something greater and we're not asking you to give up family time, you know, like let's talk it out and work away because so many people just have that limiting belief of, I don't have time. So when the kids are older, I'll do it. When conditions are right, I'll do it. Instead of going, actually by you doing this and giving up some sleep and giving up your mornings, you're, you're going to have so much better time with your family while they're here. Yep. Rather than mom that's cranky and bending over backwards and feels right. guilt and shame about all the things they do that she does for you. Yeah. And in and, and that, don't tell yourself that lie that I'll do it when the kids are gone. I'll do it when this happens. I'll do it when that happens mm-hmm. because something else will get in the way of that. Yeah. Whether it be cancer or it be something else, there, there's just no more excuses in that mm-hmm. for me. That was really just... A big old lie I was telling myself mm-hmm. to lessen the guilt that I felt about not getting mm-hmm. to the gym or not doing mm-hmm. this or eating a crappy dinner or whatever it might have been. But I think the the hardest part is just taking that first step and, and getting going. Right. And then as it as it as it now here I am six months in or, or, or almost that yeah. anyway. It's yeah. what did I do before? I know. This? Like I don't yes. even hardly remember how I functioned in the morning Mm -hmm. without being here first. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it has totally changed how I think about myself and what I need and prioritized Mm -hmm. my life, my day and each day. And I'm so much better Mm -hmm. in the evenings, in the week, on the weekends, anytime I'm spending time with my family, I'm I'm far better Mm -hmm. because of what I'm doing here. Yeah. That's awesome. So now that you've survived cancer twice and now the aftermath of cancer and you seem to be on your way. How, what is your ex-life and how do you live it every day then? How do you live your ultimate infinite life every day? This is the biggest challenge for me Mm -hmm. is making sure that I am every single day in that moment, doing the things that I want to do with the people that I want to do them with. And I think that living my ultimate life is saying yes to the things that are just beneficial for me, for my family, for my work and life balance. And I don't have to be everything to every single person letting go of some of the perfection that I felt my whole life. Oh my gosh, I have to do this. I have to do it perfect. Um, sometimes good is okay. You know, mm-hmm. I did that, you know, the best that I can. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't perfect, but got the job done. Haven't I told you the definition of perfect? It's as good as it can possibly be. Okay. So it might yeah. the good might be perfect for that day. As good as it, it can might possibly be. be today. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, just my, my ultimate life, there's a lot of uh, harmony and happiness and fun and connection as my kids are launching out of the house, still being able to 
have enough energy to be with them and someday maybe be there for grandkids and feel good enough to enjoy all the things that I want to do. Um, and my ultimate life would be being able to do that, being able to say yes and feel good enough to be there for all of those things, not having to not participate in something because I'm not healthy enough mm-hmm. or not being able to participate in something because I can't, I don't have enough strength or I don't right. have enough endurance or whatever the case may be. I don't want to miss out on opportunities because of my health. Yeah. So my ultimate life is being healthy, being there, showing up, being ready for anything else that life decides to throw at me. (laughs) And what's so funny is people think to be healthier, to be fit, it's going to take up so much time and it's more just consistency. It's just a part of your day. Right. So just by you doing that, it's just, it's just, you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. It's not like a struggle. Okay. I'm going to go do this and then I'm going to reset for the rest of the day. Exactly. It's harder. I think to do it intermittently Mm -hmm. than it is to do it every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I'm like, thinking about like my past with exercise, it was like, Oh, if I can just get there three days a week, that's good enough. And then it would be so easy to find an excuse to not be able to get there. And now it's, if I just say, this is what I do every single day, that's just what I do every single day. And it's easier. There's not a, there's not a choice to make. There's not a decision. And when there's not a decision, you're not making excuses. Yep. It's just what you do every You're single day. Hundred percent committed. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. What does the world need to know, according to Leanne? So I think the world needs to know that it's never too late, mm-hmm. and you do not give up. Mm-hmm. You don't let somebody else's story be your story, and you need to stop lying to yourself. Like mm-hmm. you, you can do this. I don't want to hear that you're uh, always going to have that extra baby weight or you're. You're not able to move because your joints hurt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those joints hurt. And trust me, I have that too. But sometimes those joints hurt because you're not moving them. (laughs) You're not in your power um, zone. You're not holding your joints up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that being active and getting started with a plan, everybody's on that that different Lego page, right? Right. We're building a Lego book. Everybody starts (laughs) on a different page. According to Roman. Exactly. And you don't have to be intimidated by people who are a little bit farther along with building their Lego set than you are. Um, You just need to come in. You need to get started. All of us started somewhere. Mm -hmm. And even people who may look like they're more fit than you may have battled back from something really hard. Mm -hmm. And like I said, everybody's battle is something different. Uh, Mine was breast cancer, at least to this point. But just stop Stop with the excuses. Stop comparing. Start doing. Stop mm-hmm. comparing. Exactly. Stop feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. You can be a morning person. Mm-hmm. You can get in here and do this. Yes. And even when I look at my board and I'm like, oh my God, how yes. am I going to get through it? Right. Guess what? I've gotten through it every single day for yeah. six months. Yeah. So you can. You can yep. do it. You're stronger than um, you know. Exactly. Yep. Don't, what was it? Don't let your mind tell your body what it can do. Yep. So, I love that. I like that quote. Yes. Thank you so much. I love you. Love you too. <laughs>